Welcome to the Statesman Journal's Explore Oregon podcast. I'm your host, Zachar Ness, and in each episode, producer David Davis and I highlight Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places. This podcast is brought to you by the American Forest Resource Council, supporting responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest. Learn more at amforest.org. We're also supported by Visit Tillamook Coast a land of ocean and forest just an hour from the Willamette Valley with a new recreation map you'll hear about later in the show. Finally, the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department encourages Oregonians to come out and experience the change in seasons, but also be well prepared for whatever winter brings, whether it's snow on the mountain passes or big tides and storms at the coast. Watch the weather and know what to expect. That's good advice, and it's worth noting that many of Oregon's higher elevation destinations are starting to get snow as we inch closer to winter. Every year, plenty of unprepared travelers from the valley get snuck on mountain roads. That is never fun, and really, you don't want to be the person trying to call AAA or search and rescue from a remote road because you thought your SUV might make it through that tiny little snowdrift. It often doesn't work out. But anyway, we've got a great episode today. We're welcoming a special guest to talk about the Oregon Coast Trail, a nearly 400-mile pathway that tightropes the Pacific Ocean and offers a truly unique hike or backpacking experience. But first, here's some guitar music to get us rolling. All right, in this edition, we are welcoming a good friend of mine onto the show for the first time. Bonnie Henderson is the author of fantastic books about everything from the Cascadia earthquake to multiple guidebooks. We actually co-authored a hiking book together about the best hikes for kid in Oregon a few years ago, and that was a lot of fun. But today, today she is here to talk about her newest book, Hiking the Oregon Coast Trail, 400 miles from the Columbia River to California. Bonnie, thanks for being here. Thanks for having me, Zach. All right. So in this podcast, Bonnie and I are going to talk about the experience of hiking and backpacking the Oregon Coast Trail. In the first half, we'll cover the things that make the trail unique, all the things you need to know to plan a trip on it. In the second half, she'll talk about her five favorite overnight segments, some of the best places for maybe doing a few nights instead of the whole thing at once. Sound like a plan? Perfect. Okay. So to start... Can you kind of sum up the trail for us? I mean, it's obviously a long pathway along the ocean, but when you're on it, where is it taking you? What are you seeing? And and what's the overall experience? Well, I mean, for one thing, it's 400 miles long and half of it is just walking on the beach. Um, In between are these beautiful headland hikes uh, through the forest. You cross rivers. You sometimes have to wade rivers, maybe get a boat ferry. you would think that there would be sort of a similarity in all the scenery, but it changes constantly. One of the things I love about it is you can turn around and see these blue headlands kind of fading behind you and you realize, I hiked that whole thing. You can and look ahead. I mean, you can sort of see where you went and where you're going. Um, I will say it's not easy. It's not yet a great family hike because there are limited campsites. Um, so it can require some long days of hiking, uh, but it's a fantastic experience for anybody who likes long distance hiking. 
So what's your experience on the Oregon Coast Trail? What what makes it special enough to devote an entire book to just one pathway? Because you've done a bunch of guidebooks, covered a lot of ground. This one, I mean, you're 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 speaking specifically about one trail. So what makes this one trail worth worth a whole book? Um, you know, I've hiked it multiple times and I've day hacked all the little sections many, many times. And I think from doing that and seeing those little Oregon Coast Trail signs, it just really spoke to me. I really want to just do the whole thing end to end. Um, some people are drawn to long distance hiking. I'm one of them. So if you are, this is a thing to consider. Uh, you know, the thing about the book is it's also complicated. It's a complicated trail. If you don't know what you're doing, you're going to end up hiking on 101 way too much. Um, it's not always obvious where you get off the beach, where you get back on the beach. Um, there are issues with water, with where you can camp. So it is kind of complicated. And that's why I want to do the book to make it more accessible to more people. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to ask you a few more details about this later, but I wrote about this a few years ago. And I think the way we described it was like an unfinished gem. Like the scenery is is top notch. And there are segments that are just I mean, world class, but it's kind of a mishmash and it's it's not like the perfectly organized, laid out pathway that it might be in the future. I think that's a great uh, description. I mean, people who have done long distance trails in other part of the world, parts of the world know that they often include road sections. So it's not as big a deal for somebody who, who's hiking the whole 400 miles. Uh, they have a couple hours of hiking along the highway here or there. Um, but you know, if you're just doing a section hike, you don't really want to be on the highway. So you kind of got to need to know what you're doing. Um, and yeah, it is very hikeable from one end to the other, but it's like you said, a mishmash, some beach, some forest, some back roads, some highway shoulder. Uh, do we walk around this bay? Do we try to get a boat ride across the bay? Oh, we arranged a boat ride and then the weather sucks and we can't do the boat ride. You know, you have to be flexible. You've got to be resilient. Gotcha. And I'm curious, if you decide to do this whole thing, if you want to through hike it, how long does it typically take? Like, I mean, for an average person who's in good shape, you know, not a not a trail runner or something like that. Like, how long is it if you want to go end to end? You don't have to be a trail runner, but you definitely have to train up for it because there are some long days between legal campsites um, there. You will be hiking some long days. And as a result, you're going to do this trail in less than a month. You're going to do it maybe in three weeks. Um, some people, if you're just coming off the Pacific Crest Trail and you're used to hiking 25 miles a day, you'll do it even faster. But uh, figure 15 miles, 10, 10 to 20 miles a day, around 15 miles a day. So it'll take you less than a month. Cool. All right. Well, jumping back in time a little bit, do you know why the Oregon Coast Trail was built in the first place? Was it a, a precursor to 101 or what's the history there? Well, it's kind of interesting. There's this guy, as I understand, named Sam Dickin, who was a geography professor at U of O since the 40s. And uh, the story I heard is that in 1959, he was down uh, looking around at a chunk of coastline that the state had just acquired just north of Brookings, which is what is now known as Sam Boardman State Scenic Corridor. And he was blown away by the scenery, all the arch rocks and uh, natural bridges and these little secret beaches. But nobody had seen them because it's it's a very short distance from the highway to the shoreline, but it's all forested and there were no trails. And he's like, 
we need to put trails in here. This would make a great place to hike. It was his eye to string this all, idea to string it all together. And it didn't, nothing really happened with that idea. He was trying to promote it until the 70s when uh, the state legislature passed their Recreational Trails Act and there suddenly was some money for planning and construction. Um, the state, as I understand it, declared the trail hikeable in 1988. But as you pointed out, it's still not done. It's still a work in progress. Gotcha. So this is this is modern because, you know, some of those longer trails, a lot of them actually like the Rogue River Trail are like old, you know, packing trails or gold mining trails or, you know, timber trails and stuff like this. But this was actually built for recreation and, and fairly recently. Interesting. Yeah, absolutely. But the other thing is those that Sandy Beach has been the highway that people have used to go north and south along the Oregon coast for literally thousands of years. So it's sort of taking that and then adding some of those trails over the headlands were built uh, during the depression by uh, CCC were, you know, crews. So it's all kinds of different things put together, but it, it really wasn't a thing to hike until the eighties at the earliest. Okay. And I wanted you to give me to, to paint a picture because one thing that's interesting about the Oregon Coast Trail is that, you know, unlike the PCT, the Pacific Crest Trail, for example, which is entirely, almost entirely in wilderness, the Oregon Coast Trail gets a lot closer to civilization. So when you're on it, do you have that feeling of I'm out in the wilderness most of the time? Or do you really feel the uh, encroachment of civilization on a regular basis, semi-regular basis? How, how does that, that, that feel? It's really interesting. And it's hard to imagine until you do it. First of all, it varies from very walking through beaches crowded with people. Last time I did a through hike, we hit Cannon Beach during the Sandcastle contest. So it was nothing but people. Um, and then there are other parts where you very, we'd be very unlikely to see another person. You start hiking south abandon and the further south you get, you will see nobody. Um, so there are some very remote stretches. It just really varies a lot. Okay, so the focus of your book is on overnight trips on the coast trail, which I liked a lot because the idea of backpacking this pathway is really appealing. Plus, if you're going to drive all the way out to the coast, you know, why not get your money's worth? But for you, why did you focus on the overnight and the through hiking aspect? What, what drew you to that side of it? Well, for one thing, anytime you go to the beach, pretty much in Oregon, you're on the Oregon Coast Trail, whether you know it or not. I mean, almost every beach is part of it. Hike on the Headland Trails, that's part of it. So that's, you don't really need a lot of information about that. Um, but as I was mentioning, when you try stringing it all together, it's complicated. Um, a friend of mine, Connie Soper, has written a book called Exploring the Oregon Coast Trail. And it's a really, she, her, she hiked it by doing it as a series of day hikes. And that's a great way to do it too. Um, but when you try to do it as a through hike, then is when you get into the complications. Uh, unlike the Pacific Crest Trail, you can't just crap anywhere you, you want. It, you're in a town. You're, there are people around. Um, water is an issue. We, I could talk more about that later. But there are, there are a lot of complicating things about it. And uh, it, it, it really, you need some help to do it. People have done it for decades now without a guidebook, but uh, more people are using it now. And I wanted to um, make it easier for them to know how to do it. Yeah, that actually segues right into my the next question I had. 
you know, are you seeing an increase in the number of people who are backpacking and segment hiking the Oregon Coast Trail? Like, it feels like it's gotten a little bit more attention, especially as the Pacific Crest Trail has gotten way more popular and there's way more people out there. Like, if you, are you seeing an uptick in use on the Coast Trail? Oh, most definitely. So the last time I did a long hike um, in 2008, 2009, I literally didn't meet any other person who was through hiking. A, a handful of people who were backpacking segments. Um, 2019, like a decade later, met people from all over the world, all over the country. I don't, there were a few days when I didn't meet another through hiker, but most days you you, there are other through hikers out there all the time now. What really changed, um, I think about 2017, there was kind of a rough year on the Pacific Crest Trail. The snow was really high in the Sierra. Um, and then after that, there were wildfires in Oregon. So Pacific uh, Crest Trail hikers started peeling off and going to the Oregon Coast Trail as something to do while they waited for the snow to melt in the Sierra, that kind of thing. And suddenly there were just tons of people on the Oregon Coast Trail where there had not been any. So uh, yeah, there's been a huge uptick. And the thing that really surprised me on my last hike in 2019 was the number of people from overseas. I met people from Ireland, uh, Austria, Germany, New Zealand. Um, I forget where else, but it's almost, it is better known as a long distance hike by the long distance hiking community overseas or elsewhere in the country than it is, I think, among hikers in Oregon. It's interesting what you mentioned about people like in 2017, people coming out to the coast as opposed to being on the Pacific Crest Trail. And that that feels like that's going to keep happening. I mean, look at this summer, quite a lot of wildfire. We had some record setting uh, amounts of smoke, especially in the southern half of the states. But the coast, it was like this place where you could escape. And, you know, I got out there a few times and it just felt like a world away. It would be 117 degrees in the valley and then 60 degrees out in Newport. And it was so refreshing to get out there. So it feels like this trend of people coming out to this trail might be something that's going to continue. Well, I think so. And you're absolutely right. Um, you just don't you don't have issues with snow, uh, you know, Knock on wood, we don't have trouble with wildfires. So it's it's much easier to access in the summer. In fact, the coast has become so crowded, you can't get a parking spot. There's parking all over the highway. The cool thing about the Oregon Coast Trail is people aren't parking. They're not, you know, their carbon footprint is very small. They're very low impact. Uh, it's actually a great kind of tourism. <laughs> That's actually a good point because, I mean, for so many trails like Short Sand Beach or something like that, it's borderline impossible to get a good parking spot at this point. But if you're doing a segment hike or a backpacking trip, you don't need to worry about that. You get to enjoy all the good stuff uh, without, you know, the really frustrating part of trying to find a place to park. Totally. And, and the good stuff includes not only this great scenery, but stopping for uh, a great uh, microbrew or some really excellent fish and chips, stopping at a whiskey bar. This one hiker I knew who had done the Pacific Crest Trail and then did the OCT, she called it the coffee Camino because she was stopping for lattes every day. I mean, so you've got all that stuff too. It's, it's a nice combo. You can do it the way you want. I like to tell people it's definitely not a wilderness experience, but it is most definitely an adventure. You can get stuck in a sandbar. You, you know, you, if you're not careful, you can end up, uh, you need to wade a river. And if you waited too long, you, you have to wade it through. 
uh, because the tide has turned. There's a lot of things you got to pay attention to. And I've had some kind of crazy adventures on the Oregon Coast Trail, but it's not a wilderness. It is an adventure. Gotcha. Well, you mentioned, you know, all the things that we should think about. So let's jump into that side of it. So let's talk about how to plan a trip, some of the critical things to know in advance. I think first and foremost, we should talk about season. The Oregon Coast Trail doesn't get buried in snow, like you mentioned. And I do enjoy going to the coast in the dead of winter. But the winter gets pretty crazy out there with, you know, 90 mile per hour winds and, you know, sideways rain and stuff like that. So what do you recommend in terms of a season for the Coast Trail, both for through hiking the entire thing and in segments? Um, you know, ideally, it's really a, a mid-June, early June to mid-June through September experience. And not only because the weather is so much better. I mean, the winter, yeah, there's no snow, but you can end up in these big sou'westers where if you were hiking over a headland, trees are falling down. You know, if you're on the beach, you're getting uh, snow, uh, sand laden wind right in your face. So it's not a great experience weather-wise. The main problem with hiking in the winter is there are rivers that cannot be waded in the winter. Um, about mid-June, historically speaking, the rivers on the coast reach their summer levels. And so if you're going before that, you're going to hit rivers that you literally can't cross and that in the summer, you just take off your boots and walk across. Um, the South Coast is more of an issue for that because on the North Coast, uh, any of the big rivers, there are bridges you can cross, uh, used to cross. But down the South Coast, there are places where there's no alternative. You have to wade that river. Otherwise, you would be bushwhacking through private land, way inland to get to the highway to be able to cross a bridge. So for that reason, really, you could start in April or May, and especially in the North Coast, um, but really mid-June is especially if you're on the south coast and we never know when the first big sou'wester is going to hit but figure early October it's going to be happening. Well let me ask you this is it possible to do you know maybe a, a segment that has a couple nights in the off season like are there options where it makes sense and then options and then you know big areas where it doesn't make sense? Absolutely actually you can hike almost anywhere on the north coast and not have to worry about that river issue um, and it's just whether you want to deal with the weather. Okay, so I want to talk places to about staying overnight. Like we've we've talked about this a little bit or hinted at it, but because that's part of what makes this trip unique, you can stay in a lodge or in a hotel in some cases or in a lot of cases and then camp in some areas. But let's start with lodges. Like how easy is are they to access along the Oregon Coast Trail? Can you realistically have a roof over your head every night, every other night? Uh, what what's that mix like? Uh, most of the trail you can. Now there's a big stretch in the Oregon dunes where it's just kind of, it's, um, totally public land and there's no, uh, lodging, uh, unless you're willing to hike all the way from a little bit South of Florence down to Winchester Bay, get a boat across and stay in Winchester Bay. So you can, you can hike some long days and do it. Um, the South coast has even a little more shortage of end to end, but especially, Mm, the Columbia River to Florence. If you're willing to hike kind of longer days, 15, 18 miles in a few places, you can hike in to in. Sure. But I mean, I, I, I can imagine a lot of people like having a roof over their head and you can reduce some weight that way uh, too, right? Yeah, hugely. I mean, once you don't have a stove, a tent, a sleeping bag, a pad, um, 
it's a little more appealing to hike a longer distance. And especially if you get end up in some crappy weather, it's like, who cares? I'm going to take a hot shower in two hours. So it's all good. You know, <laughs> I can understand the appeal of that, but still camping seems more fun. That's, you know, probably more up the, you know, outdoors person's alley, but uh, it's also different from the PCT. For example, like if you're like you mentioned, you know, you can use the bathroom pretty much anywhere along the Pacific Crest Trail and, you know, camp just about everywhere. But that's not necessarily true on the Oregon Coast Trail. So if you're camping, what are the places where you're allowed to set down your tent? Like, how, how do you how do you figure that out? It's kind of a, a complicated question. For one thing, I think a lot of people picture hiking the Oregon Coast Trail that they're going to be camping on the beach every night. Not really so. Um, and a lot of people who are doing that don't realize they're actually camping illegally and are lucky to not get busted. Uh, there are a lot of places where you can camp on the beach, especially more remote parts, but you're not supposed to camp in front of most cities. It's uh, illegal. And there are some cities that really enforce that. You're not uh, allowed to camp on the beach in front of any state park, whether or not there's a campground in the state park whatever they call it, whether it's a scenic recreation site or whatever. And you got to watch out for snowy plover protected areas or um, parts of the coast where you could walk the beach, but you're not allowed to camp um, in order to not disturb these nesting snowy plovers, which is a protected species that's had a great re resurgence on the coast. So that limits your beach camping a little bit. The really cool thing and what sort of forms the basis of uh, camping on the Oregon Coast Trail, it's cool if you don't mind a little uh, not being in the wilderness, is hiker-biker camps at state parks. So every state park on the coast has what's called a hiker-biker camp, uh, meaning you don't need a reservation. It's entirely drop-in. It's cost, oh, it's cheap, like 7 to $9 a night. You're in this group camp area with other hikers and people who are cycling the coast. That includes free showers, uh, a nice place to set up your tent. So those are kind of cool, actually, and you get to meet other hikers. Um, I think most people who hike the OCT are really happy to have those. But that is, again, very different from a wilderness hike like the PCT, where you can camp anywhere and you don't have to pay any money. Um, the, the other thing you've got to be thinking about uh, is water, where you're going to get water and where you're going to use the toilet. Um, on the PCT, you can pretty much defecate anywhere you want. It, it's going to break down in soil and it's not a problem. That is really not true on a, such a civilized trail as the Oregon Coast Trail. There are a ton of toilets on the Oregon Coast <laughs> Trail, but you kind of got to know where they are so you can plan ahead for that. And also, I really don't recommend uh, drinking water out of surface streams. A lot of hikers don't think this through and they're like, I always drink out of streams. I just filter my water. Well, you're, you're filtering headwater streams when you're on the Pacific Crest Trail. They, this is water that's just come out of the ground and you're still filtering it a lot of the time. Uh, on the Oregon Coast Trail, it's literally the last stretch before it hits the ocean. And we all know what flows downstream. So, I mean, you're, that water is often flowing through industrial timberlands where they sprayed pesticides or it's got highway runoff or herbicides or, God forbid, uh, giardia. So you, you kind of ought to be looking for potable water sources, tap water to be filling your water bottles. So um, that's another thing to think about with camping. Yeah, that, and that's a lot to consider. But let me ask you this. 
when you're planning if and say you're going to do more camping than uh staying at hotels and whatnot if you're planning to camp do you typically like spotlight um ahead of time every place that you're going to camp like do you set it up so that you're like okay i'm going to get to south beach state park this night and there's a hiker biker camp there and a little further to the south there is going to be you know a place that i can camp on the sand um and then like further on there's you know x or y or z like do you really need to plan that all out in advance like do you recommend that you know, I've kind of done it both ways. Uh, I've planned every night and hiked it that way. I've also done it more loosey-goosey where I sort of plan one day at a time. Uh, on the other hand, I already know the coast really well, so that was maybe easier for me. Um, you do kind of have to think about it, but you have to do a lot of planning on the OCT anyway because you got to think about, I have to hit this river at low tide, so I need to start hiking by this time. So maybe I don't want to camp there. Maybe I want to camp closer. So there is more planning involved. Um, I should mention, in addition to the hiker biker camps, there are some great private campgrounds where they allow camping. And one of my favorite places to camp on the whole coast is this uh, funky RV park down in... Uh, down by Ofer near Nasika Beach, the best camping, beautiful area, uh, far away from the RVs. So those are great. You can also stay, you could actually reserve a campsite and, and, and it could be cheaper if you're with a group of people rather than use the hiker biker. Well, I wanted to jump back to the uh, beach camping. So you mentioned all the areas that you can't do, can't do it, but there are some places you can do it right, but it's also not, uh, I think you get a romantic image of camping on the beach oh you know you got the sunset and you're out on a big expanse of sand um it's what is the beach what is beach camping like yeah there are definitely some places where you can beach camp um i'm thinking about one sweet little spot just just south of uh, cape lookout it's and north of the boy scout camp it's a really nice place sometimes surfers camp there um i'm not in love with beach camping i have beach camped in rain and uh, sand gets into everything. And I'm an experienced backpacker. I'm pretty good at not getting my, letting my stuff get wet and dirty, but uh, sand is everywhere. And the other thing is it's, you gotta be camping above the high tide line. And sometimes it could be hard to sleep thinking, am I really above the high tide line? Did I really put my tent in the right spot? So, I mean, <laughs> there's some anxiety involved there. Um, have you ever had your, your tent swept away in the middle of the night? <laughs> no, but I have lost sleep worrying about it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we're going to take a real quick break to hear from one of our sponsors, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. I'm Andy Geisler. I'm a forester at the American Forest Resource Council, and we're proud to sponsor the Explore Oregon podcast. Like you, I love the outdoors. On many days, the forest is my office. I work on the ground with public lands agencies on good forest management projects. Forest management helps achieve important conservation goals while providing sustainable timber. Science-based forestry helps improve wildlife habitat, outdoor recreation, clean air and water. And it's essential to providing renewable, climate-friendly wood products. Learn more about us at amforest.org. All right, we're back. 
Okay, in, this, in the book, you broke down the trail into five different sections. We're going to get into the specifics later, but what are the big differences in these sections? Like, is the trail fundamentally different from north to central to south coast? What are the big differences in what you're going to see and experience? Well, let me try to characterize these different sections. That The northernmost section, Astoria to Garibaldi, is super scenic. I mean, you're going past Cannon Beach and Haystack Rock and over Cape Falcon, these gorgeous headlands. Um, you're also going through some really popular beach towns, so uh, not real remote in most of it. Uh, but there's almost no highway walking. I mean, there's a half mile between Seaside and Gearhart. If you don't hit Hug Point at the at low tide, you're going to be on the highway for a mile just to get around it. But almost no highway walking, so that makes it very appealing. Um, it's also close to Portland, so if you don't want to have to drive too far, that's nice if you live in Portland. Next section, South Garibaldi to Salette's uh, Bay. Again, you're you're in the on the Tillamook Coast, which those that gorgeous Three Capes region. You're hiking all, over all three capes. Um, you go uh, over Cascade Head, which is a United Nations uh, biosphere reserve. It's a gorgeous headland. Um, and except uh, around Ca Cascade Head, there is not too much highway walking. There is a nasty stretch there at Cascade Head that people are working on minimizing and getting people onto a, hopefully construct some trail pretty soon, but that's the only really highway walking. Um, from Celeste to Florence, uh, you're, Really, that's the closest you ever are to Highway 101. But what's interesting is the experience of that, because you're walking right along the shoreline, you don't hear the traffic, you don't notice it. And uh, it's really easy walking, um, not too many headlands, it's just not a lot of flat beach uh, walking. There's also uh, much more camping and, in, and uh, lodging. So it's a little easier to not have to have such long days. Um, there is a little highway walking in that stretch, but not too much. Florence to Port Orford, lot of, the most remote, I would say. You're in the dunes, which is gorgeous. You're hiking over Cape Blanco and Blacklock Point, which is this really cool remote headland. Um, you're a long way from 101 the whole time. It's, great for, it's a great stretch for backpacking. And then uh, Port Orford to the California border, incredibly scenic. Uh, there is some highway walking. The nice thing is it's the most remote part of the coast. So uh, if you get up early and knock off uh, those five miles of walking along the highway, you might not have much traffic going by you at all. It's also logistically challenging. And it's not where I would recommend someone go for a sec section hike as their first experience at the Oregon Coast Trail because there's 36 miles between Gold Beach and Brookings where there's no tap water, there's no legal camping. Um, you got to be creative. There's ways to uh, work around it, but it's it's a challenging stretch. It's gorgeous, but it's challenging. Well, that's a, that's a really nice summation of the Oregon Coast Trail in, in just, a, just a few words. <laughs> I can't believe you pulled that off. Way to go. Um, <laughs> All right. Well, you know, you mentioned the highway walk and we've, we've mentioned it a few times, but let's let's dive into that a little bit, because a few years ago, I, I focused on that in a story about these uh, gaps and there was legislation passed to try to fill those gaps. But at that point, I think it was 33 different places where there were where you had to go out onto the highway that totaled about 50 miles. 
which is, you know, not super fun, not the end of the world, but, you know, not exactly what you're hoping for. I know there's been an effort to close those gaps by building connecting trails. I know a few have, have come into play, but where does that stand? Like, is there progress being made on that end? Has been, there been some progress since I wrote that story? Like, give us a snapshot of the, the gaps. There's always a little progress being made, um, but uh, it's very slow. There is a process underway right now called the Oregon Coast Trail Action Plan that is an attempt for the first time to really, uh, really nail down where those gaps are. And gaps, there's different kinds of gaps in the Oregon Coast Trail, but we're mostly talking about highway walking sections. Um, to nail down what those are and what the best alternatives are to close them. And even once that's nailed down, uh, it'll take years to maybe acquire those land or that those easements and uh, build that trail. So there's that's happening. Meanwhile, I I don't think the highway walking is as big a deal as a lot of people think. Some people think it's half highway walking. It's not. Uh, it's, I. Th that's one reason for writing the book is people don't always realize where the trail is and that they don't need to be walking on the highway here. Um, for one thing, there are only a few stretches that are more than a mile. You know, there's just a few places where you maybe have to hike five miles, seven miles, maybe three or four of those. Most of the highway walking is very short and it's just to, for example, to get across a river. Now there's this other category of highway walking, which is walking around the big bays, Tillamook Bay, Coos Bay, um, the mouth of, of the Umpqua, I highly recommend people try to arrange a boat ferry there. We're really down to about 10% of the Oregon Coast Trail is on the highway right now. And again, most of that is in short stretches that aren't really a big deal. The ferry thing is sounds almost kind of romantic. And is it easy to set up and pull off. I assume it's not like a cab. You can't just call a ferry and it's going to, you know, pop up. There's no Uber for, for ferry boats and stuff. So how hard is it to arrange that in advance? And like, do you have to arrive at a very specific time or just bring us through that a little bit? They're all different. To me, it's one of the most fun things about hiking the Oregon coast trail. Um, I'll kind of go through them quickly. You get to down the end of Nehalem spit right across the river. There's a, a business called jetty fishery that has been ferrying people across the hikers across the uh, Nehalem River for decades. You can call them on your cell phone. They're open from seven to seven. They'll just pop right over and take you across for 10 bucks. Um, the next one, the mouth of Tillamook Bay, there's a company called Garibaldi Marina. They are happy to ferry hikers over. They didn't do it last year because they're short staffed, but they're planning to resume this year. Uh, that's a little bit trickier. You got to arrange that in advance and they only like to do it at high tide. Um, and if the weather goes bad, they're going to have to cancel. Down on the Umpqua, there's a company called Winchester Bay Charters in Winchester Bay. They're great. They'll always take people across, but they have to do it kind of on their schedule. So you need to prearrange that. The really tough one is Coos Bay. Um, there's a, it would be great if we could get an outfitter down there to regularly offer boat rides from, uh, Coos Bay spit over to Charleston. I have not found a charter operator, boat, char charter operator there yet. Who's, um, willing to kind of accommodate hikers like that. They're really focused on fishing and understandably that's their business. So, uh, 
we'll see what happens in the future, but um, I'm still trying to arrange that, see if we can get somebody in to do that. So it's it's definitely kind of a, a mixed bag. Um, oh, more, some are, yeah, some, definitely. Some are, some are easy, some are a little bit more challenging. Okay, yeah. well, another thing that uh, you mentioned that I want to get into is is tides. So, I mean, that's self-evident to people who are over on the coast a lot, live on the coast, you know, do fishing or kayaking and stuff like that. But, you, you know, a lot of people from the Willamette Valley uh, don't have that information. So how do you think about the tides? How important is it? Do you just look at tide tables every day online to figure out where you need to be? Uh, how does that work? Yeah, you can look at tide tables online. And most of the time, you don't need to worry about it. I mean, in the summer, the tide's never going to come in far enough that it's going to, uh, that the beach will disappear, That the beach that you're hiking on. Where you need to be cognizant of the tides is two things. One is getting around certain headlands that can only be accessed the beach around them uh, at low tide or at mid tide. So you need to know what which those are. Um, sometimes you would have to wait uh, until the tide goes back out to get around them. Sometimes you can just pock up to the highway and walk around them. And then the other is crossing rivers. And there are a number of rivers that are low enough to wade only at the mouth at low tide. Um, if you if the tide starts coming in, they're just going to be too deep to wade, and it would be dangerous. And uh, isn't the wind an issue? Like I, we always take it for granted, you know, it's just kind of always windy at the coast. But I was reading one of your blogs, and you, and you mentioned that you want to go one specific way so that uh, for for wind purposes, is that accurate? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you really want to go north to south. I can't stress that enough. People don't realize that walking into uh, a north-northwest wind 15, 20 miles an hour every day gets real old. And uh, sometimes Pacific Crest Trail hikers get off, um, get off the trail and go, well, let's just hop over the, PC, over the OCT and hike it north. Don't do it. It's, you're not going to have as fun a time. It's, the wind blows constantly. It's almost always from the north-northwest in the summer that's why you want to go north to south. Gotcha. I think one of the last things that, uh, you know, we should cover as far as stuff to know in advance is what to do with your car. I mean, that's that sounds simple. And, you know, maybe it is if you have somebody dropping you off and picking you up. But what options for segment hiking in particular are can you do with a car? Like, what do you typically do with your car? That, that's a really important question. Um, and I'm glad you asked it. And it's problematic. Uh, you know, there's all these state parks along the coast and none of them allow overnight parking. However, uh, little known fact is that you can prearrange to leave your car overnight at uh, many state parks. It may not be exactly where they want you to leave it. You might want to leave it at this one little beach access point and they're like, no, but you can leave it at this campground. So you, you might need to uh, adjust a little bit for that, but that's a, a really good option. Um, it is complicated. There are other places where you can leave your car. Uh, I go over that in the book in each section, what, what I know about uh, where you can leave a car. Gotcha. All right. Well, we've covered a lot of ground from tides to where to go to the bathroom to when, where to spend the night. Um, anything else to know in planning to pull off a shorter or a longer trip? Anything else critical that people need to consider before a segment or a through hike? You know, um, I really want to stress that being aware of water and toilets thing. Um, one of the thing, I, things I'm trying to do is start a little network of trail angels 
lots of trail angels on the Pacific Crest Trail who will stop and give people a ride or um, allow campers to camp in their backyard in places where there's no, um, and I'd, I'd really like to set that up uh, on the Oregon Coast Trail. We'll see how I do. Uh, I do suggest people check my website, hikingtheoregoncoast.com. Uh, because things change. Uh, as soon as my book was out, things had changed. <laughs> there, are, there are trails that fall into the ocean. There are new trail sections that come up. There are, there's still a couple of sections on the North Coast that are still closed and maybe for another year or two uh, because of a big windstorm a year ago. So um, be aware of that. Gotcha. Well, it's still, you know, like you mentioned earlier, it's a relatively new trail. So you know, these things sort of just take a little bit of time. All right, we're going to take a second break. And when we return, Bonnie is going to talk about her five favorite segments on the Oregon Coast Trail from Astoria to the California border. We'll get into the specifics when we come back. All right, our newest sponsor is Visit Tillamook Coast, a land of ocean beach, ancient forest, and a shocking number of beautiful places you might never have heard of, all centered around towns like Manzanita, Pacific City, and Tillamook. This is a beautiful area to visit, and the best way to plan a trip here is by looking at their newly created trails and recreation map. The map features 800 different sites from campgrounds to beaches to hiking trails. My favorite thing about the map is that it breaks down activities into 13 categories. So say you're looking for a campsite. Just click on the drop-down menu and 22 different campsites appear, and you can get information on each one. If you're looking for a hike or a way to get on the water, the map has 40 different trails and 48 boat ramps all laid out on an easy to navigate digital map. To find the map and get started, visit tillamookcoast.com slash recreation hyphen map. All right, we're back. So Bonnie, you picked five of your favorite segment hikes to highlight. So what defines your picks? Are these trips you can do in one night, two nights, three nights? What's What kind of mix are you going to give us? Um, you know, what I put together is um, suggestions for hikes from anywhere to from three to six days. But because there's so much access on the Oregon coast, uh, you can really break any of these down into a, a two day hike with one overnight. Um, most of them don't require you to hike uh, several days to get to another trailhead. So you can break these down shorter than I've got them. Um, what, what I really want to focus on for section hikes is avoiding highway walking. There's a little bit in here, like as I was describing earlier, some places where you have to hike on the highway for maybe a mile, but I have uh, avoided the long highway stretches. Um, and uh, these are places where there is camping and lodging available. So that's kind of what I was looking for and to give people a variety of options. Okay, cool. Well, let's jump into it. What's the first segment uh, that you're going to highlight beginning with, you know, the place, the starting point and then the ending point? So uh, one really nice section is uh, Nehalem Bay State Park on the north coast down to Sand Lake or Pacific City. Um, it's about 45 miles. You can do it in anywhere from three to five days. Uh, it includes two boat ferries, one of which I already described as super easy. The second one a little iffier. So hopefully you'll be able to get that ferry across um, from Garibaldi to Bay Ocean Spit. If you can't, uh, you could always drive around and start at, and just skip that whole ferry and start at Bay Ocean Spit. Um, the longest day here is about 11 miles. Um, and 
it's it's just a really nice stretch. It includes um, some some gorgeous headlands in, on the Tillamook Coast. Uh, yeah, and you can split it up in different ways. You could do it as a it's a great combination uh, camping and motel that'll get you to nice to shorter days. Trying to keep people on section hikings from doing too long of days because uh, people don't typically train up for uh, 17, 18 mile days when they're just going to hike for three or four days. So, okay. So that, and that was Nehalem Bay to uh, Pacific city um, or Sand Lake. Yeah. Starting at Nehalem Bay state park where you can get a pass to leave your car and then go as far as Sand Lake, stop on the North side of the outlet to Sand Lake or go all the way to Pacific city. It's just a few more miles. All right. Well, that's the first one. So what's the next one you want to highlight? This one is a, a good end-to-end one, uh, but you can do it camping. You start at Glen Eden Beach. Uh, Selects Bay definitely creates a, a barrier that you're going to have to walk around or get a cab or something. So south of Lincoln City, start at Glen Eden Beach and then go south to around to Cape Perpetua, basically. It's about 60 miles. You can do it in four to six days. Again, you can do any part of it in a day or two and three if you want. Um, you uh, you can do it either camping or end to end. Um, you'll have some longer days, so you might want to break a camping trip up uh, with one motel night or that kind of thing. Um, there are a few short highway stretches, but they're no big deal. Uh, and you have... Uh, you get to walk past Newport, Waldport, Yahas, and up up and over Cape Perpetua. So it's it's a nice variety of experiences. Yeah, that sounds like a combination of really good scenery because you know that's kind of our backyard. We know that area pretty well. Um, but you're also you know in pretty urban areas. I mean, Newport is a you know almost a large city by Oregon coast standards. Do you really go through the middle of Newport, or how do you how do you do that area? You hardly know it's there. You're on the beach all the way down. Uh, let's see, we're starting. You're on the beach. When you get to Newport um, at the north jetty of the of the Aquina, you hike up a little trail to uh, the state park there, hike out to the beginning of the bridge across Newport, hike the bridge, which is a little bit scary because it's got a narrow sidewalk, but uh, it does have a sidewalk. And you get to the end of the bridge, you walk down some stairs, hike out the South Jetty, and you're back on the beach. So that's kind of what it's like at Newport, Walport, Yahats, uh Yeah, it's just you're a little bit through town, and then you're back on the trail. But it strikes me that you'd be pretty close to like Rogue Rogue Ales. Um, oh, when you're you doing are very that. So, I mean, close. you could you you could just pop off like I've done it. It's a great it's a great <laughs> stopover, um, or other places. Yeah, you're just really close to town, and you could stop and get a get something to eat, get a beer, move along. It's really great. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So uh, the third one, where are you bringing us for number three? So you know you could just start at the very start of the trail at the Columbia River and walk to uh, Manzanita, say, or the Halen Bay State Park. Um, it's a little bit tricky because uh, it's pretty easy to do end-to-end, um, but expensive. <laughs> uh, you can stop at Gearhart, uh, Seaside, Cannon Beach, Arch Cape. You can get an inn or a vacation rental. And uh, But it's a little trickier to do with backpacking because there's some long distances between uh, campsites. Uh, backpackers might consider taking a night in Seaside at the hostel there, which is very cheap. Um, but there's literally no camping from the mouth of the Columbia River to the top of Tillamook Head, no legal camping. So that is tricky for backpacking. 
Um, but if you're willing to hike some long distance, you can do it. It is really nice in that stretch to stop in Arch Cape because what follows from Arch Cape is a pretty long bunch of hiking over Cape Falcon and then up and over to Neoconne Mountain. Sounds good. All right. So I think you've given us three or four. So we got, we got two more. What are the, what's the, what's number four? Well, you gotta, you gotta think about hiking in the Oregon dunes. I mean, that's the most, uh, that's where you can go disperse camping anywhere you want in the dunes. Um, again, the dunes are very sandy, so you gotta pick where you want to camp. Uh, but uh, that's just a beautiful place to camp. The one thing you definitely have to think about on the dunes is water. Um, you can get water, fill up your water bottles in Florence. You can fill up in Winchester Bay. You can fill up at the south end down um, at the end of the uh, Horsefall Beach or Bluebill Campground when you get to the end of the dunes. But otherwise, you can also detour inland to some campgrounds to get water if you need to. But water is a bit of an issue in that stretch. Otherwise, you could spend as many days as you want hiking in the Oregon dunes. Um, you could do it if you're hardcore in two days, walk from Florence down to Winchester Bay, get a boat ride across, and then walk down to uh, Horsefall Beach uh, at the end of the basically the dune stretch. But do it in four days, do it in five days. Uh, and again, it's very easy to get a ride across at uh, on the Umpqua River to Winchester Bay, um, a great charter boat company there that makes it real easy. Alternatively, I have also just hiked down there, even on a crappy, cloudy summer day and waited about an hour before a boater went by and I flagged him down and just got a ride across. So that's another way to do it. And when you're camping in that section, where do you typically put your tent? Are you do you do you find those campgrounds and and head into them, or do you have like favorite dispersed spots? And if so, what do the dispersed spots typically look like in the dunes? Okay, I'm going to tell you the best spots as far as I'm concerned. There's an oxbow on the on Talkinage Creek. Uh, it's just about a half mile inland, I think, off the beach. It's awesome. You wait across the the creek and it's super nice flat camping. Another really good spot is the north end of Three Mile Lake. You can camp right on the lake shore, kind of tucked in the trees, or you can hike up a little trail and be on this nice flat knoll. Um, that's a great place for camping. It's a little more problematic south of Winchester Bay because there are some restrictions for the snowy plovers. There are also ATVs, sometimes in the dunes, sometimes on the beach, whatever. You know, they do their own thing. You do your thing. Just find a flat place to camp. Um, but between Florence and Winchester Bay, there's some really sweet campsites. Nice. All right. Well, for the last pick here, I think you're taking us a little farther south. So what's uh, what's your fifth and final segment pick on the Oregon Coast Trail? I really like this stretch. Um, if you go from Seven Devils State Recreation Site, which is north of Bandon, and go all the way to Port Orford. Great stretch, beautiful stretch. Not easy in all places, um, but you can do it as kind of a luxury end-to-end hike. You can do it backpacking the whole way. It's a really sweet stretch. From, from uh, Bandon to Flores Lake is, you gotta cross uh, a river that you've gotta do the, get the timing right, and also, it, it's a kind of a rough hike, to be honest. The sand is, uh, 
uh, it's the, it's kind of a slanted beach with very soft sand and it can be a bit of a trudge toward the end, um, but you're not gonna see another per person there. So that's kind of cool. Um, you go over Blacklock Point, which again is very remote. It's, a, it's, it's owned by the state park system, but there's nothing developed there. It's just a wild, wild place. Uh, Cape Blanco is pretty cool. There's a nice hiker biker camp on it. So uh, I think this is a really cool stretch. Um, there's also a little south of Bandon. You don't have to hike if you're backpacking all the way to Flores Lake where there is a hiker biker camp. You can stop and backpack at a little designated bivouac site about four miles north of Flores, Flores Lake. So a bunch of cool little little things about that section. Wow. Well, that is, that is a lot of options. Um, and that's one thing that sticks out about the Oregon Coast Trail is you don't have a shortage, like you're not hemmed in by, you know, road access and stuff like that. You can really kind of customize your, your adventure to whatever you want to do as long as you do the research. Does that sound about right? Yeah, absolutely. And one of the really cool things that's really helped with wayfinding is if you've been to the coast in the last few years, you've seen these big sort of neon yellow signs with numbers on them. Uh, those are not mileage numbers. They've just, uh, the state has set up a this series of markers at beach access points. They're really designed for emergencies. If something happens, you can call 911 and tell them you're near number 60 or number seven, and people know how to, where you are and how to get there. Meanwhile, they're great for wayfinding. Like, okay, leave the beach at number 55, uh, follow a little trail, cr you know, cross a bridge, get back on the on the beach. So it's very helpful. And there's just a ton of them, ton of beach access. I mean, the cool thing about the beach, Oregon Beach Bell, which is a little more than 50 years old now, is not only it, it made all of the beach up to basically the high tide or the vegetation line public in Oregon, which is not true of our neighbor states, but it also guarantees people access to the beach. Um, we are guaranteed plenty of access to the Oregon coast. So it's one of the things that makes the Oregon Coast Trail work. All right. Well, that seems like a good place to end it. Bonnie Henderson is the author of Hiking the Oregon Coast Trail, 400 miles from the Columbia River to California. Bonnie, thanks, thanks so much for taking us through all the details that you need to know, all the different places you could go. And definitely for me, I, I have a million places that I now want to get a backpack on and check out. So thanks for being with us on the Explore Oregon podcast. Hey, great question, Zach. And thanks for letting me talk about my favorite subject. <laughs>、well, that's about all the time we have left in today's show. We hope this gave you plenty of new ideas on how to experience the Oregon coast. If you like what you heard, check out our back catalog of what is now over 50 episodes featuring Oregon's most beautiful and interesting places at statesofjournal.com slash explore. You'll also find us at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and Amazon Music. We'd once again like to thank our sponsors, beginning with the American Forest Resource Council. AFRC supports responsible forestry on public lands throughout the Pacific Northwest for our environment, for our economy, and for our future. Learn more at amforest.org. We'd also like to thank Visit Tillamook Coast, a great place to plan your outdoor adventure with the help of their new recreation map. And thanks to the Oregon Parks and Recreation Department, which stresses the importance of recreating responsibly and leaving no trace in Oregon's outdoors. Thanks for listening, and we hope you'll join us on the next edition of the Explore Oregon podcast.